I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know where to find me on Twitter, Instagram, Google+, Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And you can catch up on all the episodes of Street Soldiers, both radio and TV on lisaevers.com. Now, from the hood to Hollywood, from the halls of Congress to the Catholic Church, we have seen allegations in cases of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct everywhere. It cuts across every possible conceivable line, affects every community, and affects both genders. But now the questions are, what about the rights of the victims? What about the rights of the people who may be falsely accused of these crimes? And what happens to someone when they are the victim of that abuse and they're not able to get justice? That's what we're focusing on in this episode, because increasingly, as these kinds of accusations surface, whether it's a Bill Cosby, whether it's an Africa Bambata, whether it's many of the other cases that we've seen in the headlines throughout the past several years, a lot of the cases tried in social media. But is that justice for the victims? Is that fairness for the people being accused of it if they don't get their day in court? That's what we're going to focus on with our guests, and we've got a great panel to do just that. Joining us, Christopher Anderson. He's the executive director of Male Survivor, an advocate for survivors of sexual violence. Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me again, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Chuck Creekmer. Um, he is the founder and CEO of AllHipHop.com, one of the top hip-hop news sites out there, period, in the world. They have been covering the Africa Bambata case very extensively. Chuck, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Peter Brill. He's a former prosecutor and criminal defense attorney. He's been rated repeatedly one of the top 100 lawyers in New York State. He's going to help us understand where's the law in all this and where is justice and what do we even consider justice in this day and age. But Chuck, I want to start with you. Where do you place Bombada in terms of the hip-hop constellation of important figures? Well, he's on Mount Rushmore. You know, he's on Mount Rushmore of hip-hop. He's one of the pioneers along with folks like Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, and he's credited um, in, in, in a special way because he's one of the people that is credited for taking hip hop from a street force, as in the Black Spades, to a positive force with the Zulu Nation. And along with his musical contributions, I mean, I made, I've made it known that Planet Rock, his, one of his hit records was, you know, when I fell in love with hip hop. You know, so he's he's a he's a pioneer. I mean, in the constellations, he's one of the brightest stars as far as hip hop is concerned. So these charges and these accusations that are coming out very very disturbing to a lot of people. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. Uh, a lot of people are um, confused. Uh, some don't want to even look at it. Some don't want to talk about it. Some don't even want to acknowledge it. And it's it's a scary scenario for a lot of people as well because you're looking at someone who you perceive in that powerful figure and you know almost in a fatherly capacity when it comes to hip hop. Right. Yeah. He's called he's called one of the founding fathers repeatedly. Absolutely. Christopher Anderson. We've seen a lot of these cases, and I, do, I don't want to just point out Bill Cosby or Africa Bambata, Dennis Hastert, one of the most influential politicians in the United States at the time. And it's also there's male victims, there's female victims. But why is it so hard for us to even talk about this type of a subject? Well, Lisa, I think one of the real challenges for acknowledging and addressing sexual abuse is it's a crime that happens in private. 
Um, it, it's not something where we see it being done out in public, and we know that for survivors especially, the the shame and the stigma that attaches to survivors uh, as a result of you know these victimizations oftentimes lasts for years, if not entire lifetimes. And it becomes very, very difficult oftentimes for survivors to come forward and disclose. For the, on the one hand, because we see so much negative uh, sort of uh, responses to disclosures, right. um, all of whether it's male uh, survivors or female survivors, we see a lot of negative blowback whenever a survivor does step up and come forward, especially against influential, powerful, popular uh, people. Popular people who are well, like uh, Peter Brill. When you look at the, the legalities of this, what concerns you? Because a lot of people are starting to feel now these cases are being tried in social media, and there's no real legal remedy. You can't go get your day in court. Well, yeah, I wonder how long people are going to have to look over their shoulders. I mean, 20, 30 years. There are statutes of limitations, but your reputation, one way or the other, whether these allegations come out of ruin. Now, there are such things as false allegations. There are plenty of accurate allegations as well, and we don't know what's going on with Africa Bombada, but we know that there are plenty of people out there looking for their moment in the spotlight. Uh, making these allegations even if there's nothing to back them up. Now you've been in the legal profession for a long time on both sides as a prosecutor, as a, a defense attorney. Any gauge of how many authentic, like legitimate complaints there are versus false accusations? I'd say the or vast it's impossible majority, to know. It's, it's impossible to know for sure, but the vast majority are probably accurate. The problem is that the people who make the false allegations, and we know there are people who do that, ruin it for everybody else because now society is saying, well, you know, maybe all of these are false. Why And why is it so hard for us to accept these kind of accusations when it is somebody that's a popular figure? Well, I think one thing, just to speak to the false allegations, if I can, we do have, there is some research out there that suggests that the number of false allegations is extraordinarily small. Anywhere between some of the research I've seen is three to five percent. So without question, Peter is absolutely correct. Are there some individuals who do come forward with false allegations for whatever purposes? Sometimes, but it's important to stress that because of what I was just saying, the immense blowback and the negative repercussions for most survivors who do come forward, especially male survivors, um, it's important to stress that for somebody to come forward, especially in a public way, as we've seen many of the survivors, especially like Ron Savage do, it truly is an immense act of courage for them to, to go public. Chuck, what about that in terms of, in terms of how hip hop reacts? Well, again, you know, to answer your previous question, it's really hard for people to come to terms with this sort of situation, um, particularly, you know, when there's an aspect of, uh, you know, child pedophilia, as well as possibly, you know, homosexuality as, as well, because as you know, that's a that's a, a stigma in hip hop as well. So, um, you know, we come up knowing these people in some form or fashion, whether it be through their music or through their deeds, which Bambada's done a lot, I mean, an incredible amounts of good. And then, you know, you have something that's so opposed to what you know that it becomes difficult to process and understand. And there's a lot with the, the rumor mill, and there's also a lot of this, how many accusers do you get to reach a critical mass mm -hmm. where something happens on the official level? Where do you think we are with the Africa Bambata case? Well, I think one of the things that's very interesting is we've seen with the Bambata case, uh, because of statute of limitations being what they are in New York State and the difficulty of being able to really do a criminal investigation, the what we are seeing is a number of people who once Ronald's story became public have come forward to also reinforce and say, yes, I'm a survivor of Bambata as well. 
that's something that is somewhat unique and I think was starting to be a shift um, because in, in other cases around the country, there really weren't so many people coming forward publicly as we're starting to see now. And like you said, for, for, for men to come forward. But Peter, what about the fact that this was so long ago? This is what we had trouble as a news organization covering with Ronald Savage, who we, we did put on the air when we had Africa Bambata. But the in, in terms of this is like about 30 years ago. Right. Well, uh, New York has a strict statute of limitations. You have to be, uh, I think, no more than 23. They give you a little bit of an extension past the time that it happened for you to come of age and then be able to bring charges. But remember, the age of consent in New York is 17. So if, you know, if you're 17 or above and you want to... Um, intelligently, rationally engage in sexual activity with an adult, that's on you. But if you're 16, you're considered a child. Unless it's with a, someone of a very similar age who's just over 17, right? That's the little catch in the law. But for someone with that big age difference, yeah, it's uh, it's 17 or above. And if you're 16 or below, that's So basically that's there is a right. deadline with the statute of limitations. Once you hit 23, after that, you can't really file a complaint with the police or district attorney. Right. Now, in New York, uh, that's what it is. But we don't know if these allegations occurred out in other states. And other states have been passing laws extending those statutes of limitations for victims. So are there places possibly where there's an unlimited or open-ended statute? Of, there is no limitation? Well, for example, with the, uh, the Catholic Church scandal, certain states made exceptions for a limited number of years. But those years, I think, are still running in some other states. In terms of the victims coming forward. Right. All right. Um, coming up, we're going to find out, is it different for male survivors of sexual abuse as opposed to women? We'll find out when we come back. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're focusing on sexual abuse allegations and social media. What do we consider justice for the victims? And joining us for this episode, Christopher Anderson. He's the executive director of Male Survivor, an advocate for survivors of sexual violence. Also with us, Chuck Creekman. He is the founder and CEO of AllHipHop.com, one of the premier news sites for information related to hip-hop, and they have been covering the Africa Bambata case very, very closely. Also with us, Peter Brill. He's a former prosecutor, criminal defense attorney, and one of New York State's top 100 lawyers. Chuck, what have you been hearing about this? Well, frankly, we've been hearing a lot, a lot that uh, is not positive for Africa Bambada and, and quite frankly we've been hearing that there's just this is just the tip of the iceberg and that there's a lot more potential victims a lot of a lot more accusations that might be coming forward and, and quite frankly you know if you search the internet I mean you see people that are literally going on the record which is a lot different than the past which we've you know quite frankly been hearing these things for years you know we've been hearing these sorts of rumors for a very long time but there was nothing there to really verify or even corroborate what you've been hearing so now you have his homeboy from the Bronx who's like bam you know me and and he's really going on record and saying some just some mind-blowing stuff and then you have others who you know like the bodyguard <clears throat> Um, who some have said is not really a bodyguard, but, you know, has been affiliated with the Zulu Nation. And then on the other side, you have people from within the Zulu Nation who are now saying different things as well. Some who are saying they heard things and then some who are still claiming that these are false allegations. Christopher Anderson, why is it so difficult for men to come forward and why are you so convinced that a lot of these accusers of Africa Bambata are telling the truth? 
Well, in terms of your first question, Lisa, what we know is there's so many myths and stereotypes and stigmas, especially around male sexual victimization, that lead to a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of, uh, in this particular case, because the alleged perpetrator is male, there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, about whether or not this means it was gay or whether these victims are homosexual. And it's very important for people to understand child abuse does not establish a person's sexual orientation. An act of pedophilia is a crime. It is not an act of consensual you know, sex between two peers. So a lot of times people are afraid to come forward because they're afraid that they're going to be stigmatized and identified you know, somehow as something that they are not. Um, in terms of what you know, what is it that I'm hearing in terms of the allegations being uh, laid against Bambata by a number of people who've come forward now, they're very, very similar kinds of uh, stories. We hear people reinforcing details about specific kinds of acts and behaviors. Um, but also, when you look at the dynamics, um, you have here, you know, and not to say that just because somebody is influential or powerful within a certain community, that makes them a suspect. But, you know, there are parallels to big cases that we've heard, you know, recently. Obviously, the Sandusky case being one that I think is very applicable. You have somebody who has established a number of ways to sort of be a benefit to the community um, and some of the things that he has offered you know sound very much like classic grooming behavior where you've got uh, what do you mean what do you mean explain grooming behavior sure oftentimes uh, perpetrators you know sexual sexual violence especially sexual violence against children is not typically a crime of violence it's not the stranger danger they don't hit him over the crime. head and drag him into the bushes right we know that the overwhelming majority of perpetrators of sexual violence especially against children are people who are known and who establish strong trusting relationships and bonds with their victims and that's part of a, what's called a grooming process to basically you know ensure that they have power and control over their victims Peter, in, in terms of the legalities of this, these cases, we saw Bill Cosby, just contrast this to Bill Cosby, because some people are saying the Africa Bambata case is the Bill Cosby case of hip-hop. What similarities and what differences do you see in these two? Well, if you believe the accusers, and remember, we, these are accusers, these are alleged crimes, right? So uh, Africa Bambata, Bill Cosby, until they're found guilty, like Sandusky in a court of law, or they plead guilty, they're innocent. All right, but and you think we're, you think we're losing sight of that well, in absolutely. all the media? I mean, these people get lynched in the media long before this case ever goes anywhere near courtroom. And we know in the Africa Bombada case, even he has said at this point that he's not even considering filing lawsuits against these people because he's already done as far as public opinion is concerned. Um, which I would probably encourage him not to do. I'd probably encourage him to sue these people. Uh, but that aside, um, you know, Bill Cosby's accused of drugging these women. Right. And while that's, they're both consent issues, right? One is consent because you're underage. One is consent because you're unconscious. Oh, okay. They're very different things. Now, now the, the law has to draw these arbitrary lines, right? If you're 17, you can consent. If you're under 17, you can't. But there's some 16-year-olds are much more likely and able to consent, if we look at it rationally, than, than some 17-year-olds. So not to say that these accusers aren't victims, but these celebrities have huge targets on their backs and there are many different reasons why people are going to come forward to make these allegations it's going to get them a lot of attention and whatever ulterior motives they might have 
they're going to be right out there in the public eye to, to take advantage of that. Okay, but how did the how did the Cosby just briefly take us? How did the Cosby case end up going into the actual court system and getting the attention of prosecutors? Because in Pennsylvania, Wasn't there some payment or something or right? But in, in Pennsylvania, there there were two issues: uh, the statute of limitations on the civil side, that is, the woman suing Bill Cosby, was still open for cash. Uh, right, exactly. So then there were depositions where Cosby was questioned. There was all this backroom dealing with the D- the DA and hiding uh, deposition testimony and immunity Shady and that's all stuff. yeah exactly. But the main issue is that there's a deposition out there with Cosby admitting to doing certain things like drugging this young woman, whereas in in those court records exactly. So th- so there were, that was the place that was kind of the thread that they pulled. Right. to get all this other stuff right. in there. And then the statute of limitations in Pennsylvania, from what I could tell, is still open where now they can prosecute him criminally. And Chuck, in, ter- in terms of Africa Bambata, he's been traveling for years. He, it is the universal Zulu nation. Mm-hmm. He has He's traveled. He's been a visiting professor at Cornell, traveled extensively not just around the United States but around the world. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. what do you think that does in terms of how we're looking at this case? Well, it's it has huge implications on the Zulu nation in that it reflects poorly upon them and I think that's why Bam was forced to step down and the you know the collective you know as you know was initially backing him up across several you know you know uh levels I should say but after a while, with all the allegations, I think they had to distance themselves from Bam. Um, not only whether or not they believed the accusations or not, it was just like you said in social media, media, public opinion was just it was just overwhelmingly negative, and they had to do something. So, and and if you look, there were factions from overseas that were weighing in on this, releasing their own statements. Right. You know, there were statements coming from everywhere. Yeah, if they didn't back, uh, sorry, they didn't, you know, back away. There's also that question of whether the organization itself could be held liable if they knew, or you know, were encouraging, not encouraging, obviously, but you know, ignoring. If this they behavior. knew, if they knew this was going on, and right. and he, yeah. but but technically, there there's there's also confusion and chaos around that too, because technically, he withdrew withdrew from the organization years ago, and technically, since he's a yeah. co-founder, he told told me he'll always carry the banner of the Zulu Nation, and then there's just a lot of confusion around what entities are we actually talking about? Are we talking about legal entities? Are we talking about cultural movements? Are we talking about ideology? We don't know. But uh, we're going to find out more when we come back. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson, and right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining me for this episode on sexual abuse allegations and social media, Christopher Anderson. He's the executive director of Male Survivor and an advocate for survivors of sexual violence. Also with us, our good friend Chuck Creekmer, CEO and founder of AllHipHop.com, one of the foremost hip-hop news sites in the world. They've also been extensively covering the Africa Bambata case. Also with us, attorney Peter Brill. He's a former prosecutor and rated 
as one of the top 100 lawyers in New York State. Chris, in terms of the ages, you want to talk about that because we're talking about children. When you say abusing children, if the person is 16, is that the same thing as if they're maybe 10 or 11 years old? Well, I think one of the things that's really important to consider when we're trying to make an assessment of whether or not there's something uh, inappropriate uh, happening between two people, certainly you can have uh, a 16-year-old and maybe a 23, 24-year-old person, and yes, it can cross some arbitrary legal lines. But I think uh, sometimes we get too hung up on making that distinction on how old is somebody and we lose sight of the fact that really there's a power dynamic that's often also at play that needs to be looked at you know is a 16 year old who is you know sexually abused by a teacher you know can we say that the 16 year old maybe had the capacity to understand some of what they were doing sure but there's a power difference there that's inherent that makes it an unequal situation and you know makes consent I think truly impossible uh, Chuck in terms of the hip-hop community this has got to be very hard for the alleged victims to actually put their faces and names out there on Absol YouTube and everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Ronald Savage, I mean, the way he cried on camera, I mean, the, the sheer pain and uh, the same with the other gentleman on the other side of the spectrum, uh, Poppy, I believe his name is, you know, he's just so angry. And those are emotions that you can't fake. And for them to come forward, and again, these are still allegations, however, for them to even come forward in this manner, it says a lot because most people aren't gonna be willing to do that. A lot of people are not gonna be willing to do that. And quite frankly, I've known of other cases, not with Bambada, but other artists where there was abuse or, and it wasn't even an age thing. It was just like he's a. Well, there, look at the Kesha thing. case with women, you know, that right. type of thing, alleged. Complete, a complete power play with grown men, you know what I mean? And they're fans of the artists, and then things happen. And so, honestly, I think that as the, as the years flow by, not with BAM specifically, but with other artists, we're going to see similar things coming out because it's a different era now than it was in the past. Def definitely a different era. Um, Peter, you were making an expression when Chuck said fake emotions, real emotions. Can you fake them? Have you, can, can they, because Ronald Savage is very convincing. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I have no idea whether Mr. Savage is telling the truth or not, but I've had witnesses cry on cue. Really? <laughs> you know, real tears. So emotions don't, hard-nosed criminal defense uh, attorney that you are. Did you see his video? Emotions. Uh, I didn't see his video, but I mean, it's, you know, it, it happens a lot. People get so convinced. That's how people pass lie detector tests. They get so convinced of their position that in their own mind they believe that they're right, even though they're completely lying. And you know, you get dug in. You get the, this process starts. You get the attention. You get the attention from lawyers or reporters or prosecutors. And all of a sudden, you know, you're so dug into that position that you become you're believing that position. That you've convinced yourself of this story. Chris, Christopher, what about that? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's important to address and really contemplate is what is the gain for these guys who've come forward? Right, what's the end game? Yeah. What's the end game? Attention. What's a po well, attention? But, but you think that's enough? I can, some people, sorry. But maybe for some people, but I can assure you for the vast majority of survivors that I've met, and I've spoken with Ronald, I've, uh, you know, I've seen many of the, I've met some of the survivors in the Sandusky case. Uh, I was in the courtroom actually during the Sandusky trial, and I've watched some of the pain that was on display on uh, on the witness stand, and I can tell you there is a absolute truth 
to what I see in, in, in a comparative, uh, th I see the same thing in Ronald's pain that I hear and see from so many other survivors and that resonates deeply with me as a survivor myself as well. Um, it is absolutely true, again, uh, that there are occasions where there are you know, falsehoods, but I think we do need to balance this out uh, and really ask, what is it that you know a person like Ron gains, and what is it that he exposes himself to in terms of risk by coming forward and putting himself on display in this way? And as a man, it is a lot of risk out there. Well, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I mean, for the, I, he's absolutely right. The, the vast majority of people who are making these allegations are truthfully making these allegations. They just wanted to. But make we the want point. to present both sides, and right. we want to and be fair about this because there's no there's no judge that's saying, "Hey, admissible, not admissible." You know. You know, and I think that really goes to one of the other points around. You know, part of why this is coming forward in the way it is is because, especially in New York State, we don't have because of the laws are so restrictive, and I and many of my colleagues argue unjustly restrictive. We we wind up having a situation where we can't access the truth through the justice system. Um, um, and you know, one of the things we know, male survivors of child sexual abuse delay disclosure on average for 20 years. That 20 years? 20 years on average. That means already we know that perpetrators against males in New York State, it's very likely that they will not be held accountable just because of that data point alone. Okay, so, and, and to Chuck's point that he made earlier where, where he said, you know, this is a different time now. This is a different era. People talk about these things. Or people are more open about these things. 20 years ago was a very different story. Yes. And, and and then in, in terms of the in terms of the patterns, the, the, some of the stories that I've heard, just from covering as a news reporter, when there's these accused sexual molesters or sexual abusers, there's almost always the same type of method that they use. Like the I don't know if you call it the grooming process, but mm -hmm. the the way that they get the victim, where they take them, and and what they do is almost similar. With this Africa Bambata case, some of these stories are very very different. There's other people around. It just doesn't. There's, there's not, to me, from what I've been able to see, one clear pattern. Peter, what do you think of that? Does that mean anything, or is that pretty... I think the uh, spectrum of human sexuality is probably wide enough to allow people to do all sorts of crazy things, you know, and still fall into the pattern of abusers. But it's a credibility issue on the other side, right? I mean, if you're saying that, you know, this guy who's... Uh, public, you know, persona uh, was uh, upstanding and respected is, you know, sexually abusing kids in a room full of people, and that's going to raise issues. Well, I think people had a lot of a lot of trouble with, with Africa Bambata, too, and trying to believe it at first, too, because, because as Chuck pointed out, his role, not just in hip-hop, but also in the community. I mean, he took these warring gangs, these gangs that were killing each other in the Bronx, turned that energy around, you know, the, gave us the music, brought the whole hip hop, you know, the whole hip hop culture up. And I think it was hard for a lot of people to say, could somebody that cared about the community that much and really cared about peace and spoke of these lofty ideals of using music to elevate people and understanding your heritage and understanding your cultural and racial heritage, could somebody like that really be capable of hurting young boys? Sadly, yes. <laughs> I, I, one of the things that we see time and time and time again, especially with serial preferential offenders who are among the most prolific and the most dangerous to our communities, is these are people who hide in plain sight. They are people who know that if they establish themselves as pillars of the community, and you know, I don't, I want to, I do want to be cautious about drawing the Sandusky parallel because obviously there's differences in the cases, but I think you know. 
Sandusky did very much similar things. I mean, he created the Second Mile Charity and created this entire infrastructure to help the boys, to help the boys, and to help the community. And in part, we know that that's something that many serial offenders will do because it helps them escape notice, and because they're able to be to be right there. But in in, in terms of legal options, Peter, are there legal options for any of these victims at this point with the laws at the way that they are? I know I know Ronald Savage is is trying to wants to get the laws changed so that there's no statute of limitations. First of all, what do you think about that? Well, no, even, even if no he did statute that, they can't do it retroactively. That would be unconstitutional. Uh, oh, what, okay. Yeah, so. But what do you think about that idea of, of extending the statute of limitations? I can't see it. If, Look. as Christopher says, there's sign, you know, there's proof, there's there's data that shows it takes, especially male, uh, you know, male victims, about 20 years to come forward. Should we rethink this statute of limitations? Yeah, yeah, look, in my business, in my profession, I think the way we should look at our society, we always say that it's better for 100 guilty people to go free than for one innocent man to, to be found guilty or to be wrongfully convicted. So we value individual rights and individual liberties. And there are victims' rights, don't get me wrong, but our, the government is bringing charges against people, and it's, a, it's a, the government that we have to be wary of. So to give the government free reign and free power to bring charges against people whenever they want, at whatever time in that people's lives, you. that's very scary. Yeah. And that makes you nervous. Absolutely. In, in terms of individual rights and, and, and people's rights. In terms of the way that you know, we live as Americans. But what would it take, as we look at the Africa Bambata case, what would, it, what would it take at this point for there to be some kind of proof that people can accept and go, oh, wow, that really did happen, aside from him actually admitting it himself, which he categorically denied to me repeatedly in our interview. I wonder if why we're putting so much emphasis on that, right? The victims need closure in some ways. It doesn't have to come through courts. Uh, his uh, Africa Bombada's reputation is now taking a huge hit on its own. Definitely. Uh, so there is some comeuppance uh, for him, and there's some, uh, you know, uh, some kind of justice Thank or you, yeah so for for the victims and you know if it's not coming just from to money see, just to see that, that people maybe just to see that they're not alone but it, it, is is that enough i it, i don't know you know it depends on the individual honestly and it depends on you know some people have denounced the zulu nation because of this some have stayed with the zulu nation some are still back bam um and I'm sure that the victims would want to see some form of justice that's not just public opinion, personally. But, but so Christopher, isn't the question also too, I mean, th this is the other question that was, was going through my mind throughout all of this and, and reading about this and in, in the interviews that I did and everything is uh, these, a lot of times from, again, from the stories I've covered, the s sexual predators, they don't stop. It's not like it's something they do and then on, you know, March 15th, they decide they're not gonna do it anymore. It's, it's a habitual pattern. Why are we seeing men of all the same age group, similar age group, similar generation coming forward? If he's been out there for 30 years, shouldn't there be 20 year olds, 30 year olds? Shouldn't there be others out there now it, too? It, it's possible we may see we may very well see some younger men come forward. Um, I think that's absolutely possible. But again, there's so much stigma against males coming forward. You know, that's part of what plays into that 20 year disclosure delay that that I talked about before. And, and if I could, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I can't speak for any of the individuals uh, per people who've come forward to make allegations against Bambada. But I can say, speaking with other survivors uh, over the course of you know my career, when we talk about the need for justice or the need for reparation, the needs for healing. You know, oftentimes 
I think the things that survivors want more than anything else, first, we want to see an acknowledgement that we are being, that our, that what we say happened, happened. And, you know, if sometimes you're not going to get that from the perpetrator, but having other people understand and believe these, uh, these allegations can be very important. When it comes to what we ask for, really what we, the, the survivors who come forward, it's very rare they're looking for money. It's very rare, you know, if we can get justice, we do want to get justice, but really more often than not, what survivors speak up for, speak up, what they're asking for, what they're hoping for is to make sure other people don't get hurt. They don't want others to suffer what they've suffered. Well, that's a, that's the question if there are other victims out there. Uh, we're talking about sexual abuse allegations and social media on Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up? It's The Game, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about sex abuse allegations and social media with a very special panel we brought together to talk about these important issues. Christopher Anderson. He's the executive director of Male Survivor and an advocate for survivors of sexual violence. Also with us, Chuck Creekmer. He's the founder and CEO of AllHipHop.com, one of the world's premier hip-hop news sites. They have been extensively covering the Africa Bambata case. Also with us, attorney Peter Brill. He's a former prosecutor and rated as one of the top 100 lawyers in New York State. Chuck, the social media thing, you're part of it, I'm part of it. We live yeah. in, you know, we live and breathe with it every single day, but that has played a big role in this whole Africa Bambata case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when the initial reports started to slowly come out, um, it just went viral almost instantly. And it was shocking and incredible then. But as it started to sort of go downhill, it only grew and grew and grew. And then... Um, and then people who don't even know hip hop or never heard of Bambada began to form opinions and look into it. And, and then it becomes, in, in a lot of ways, honestly, um, sort of a group think type of thing because people don't even know the details of the case, nor have they ever heard of Bam or nor, you know. So then it becomes somewhat problematic on both sides where you have folks who are not only sharing the information but others that are formulating opinions without knowing the facts. And, and then, I, Chris, Christopher, in terms of the in terms of the victims, there's also, too, let's look at the broad spectrum, too. We, we've seen rape cases where they'll use social media to really trash the, uh, the rape survivor. One of the things that we see very, very often in the social media response, especially to uh, disclosures by male victims, is this extraordinary negative pushback. Uh, people questioning a person's sexuality, their manhood, um, really undermining and undercutting the, you know, the response to male victims in very much the same way that female victims get accused of what were you wearing, you know, there's, there's lots of disbelief out there. One thing that I've seen that's actually different in this case, which has been very surprising and actually kind of heartening for me to see, is the number of people who've come forward and said, I believe Ronald, or I've heard stories also over the years. And there's been a shift. Yeah, but hearing stories is not the same thing as having proof. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But there's a change in the tone that I've noticed in terms of people, at least it seems like people are more willing to at least be willing to listen. And without, have an open mind. With, have an open mind and not automatically jump to, you know, uh, personal savage attacks on uh, survivors, which I, I hope is indicative of maybe the shift of consciousness that we had mentioned earlier. But do you think that's because they're men? Because when when it's women, it's almost 
instantaneous pushback. You know, like yeah. with Cosby, it, you know, it had to be like 300 women before I, people started to believe. And, and, and is that is that a, is that a, a falsehood too? Because if the male, the the men who abuse boys are usually hetero, identified as heterosexual. Correct. Is correct. that correct? That's absolutely correct. Because the gay thing kept coming up. That's right. Which I thought was totally wrong. Yep. That's absolutely correct. The perpetrators, most perpetrators of sexual abuse against male children identify as either heterosexual or bisexual. And very oftentimes, actually, again, to pass, you know, sort of unnoticing communities will be married, sometimes have families of their own. Mm. Or, or be their kids co coach yep. coach or, or whatever yes. Peter Peter in terms of the in terms of the social media in terms of you know we're in a sue happy country everybody wants to bring charges and file lawsuits and file civil suits and if you can't do a criminal case people do a civil case is there any way for Africa Bambata in this case to to actually sue people if if he's like what would he have to prove in order to win a case saying that they're slandering him. Sure. Well, uh, Bobato's lawyers, yeah, I think his lawyer said uh, yesterday, the day before, that um, they weren't going to do that. But there's, uh, in New York, we have uh, libel, slander, defamation. Uh, all of those have one-year statute of limitations, but it's from when the person made the statement. So obviously these statements only came out, except for in that self-published uh, book, you right. know, well within the year. Um, the problem is that the defense to someone accusing you of libel, slander, defamation is truth. And so if you go in there and then now you've got this platform to say, no, 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 all of this actually did happen to me. So I think that's going to be much more harmful to Bambada than just kind of keeping mum and, and not doing anything. And he would have to say under oath, I did not do this. And, the, and then everyone just, else gets to come in and contradict him. And then, and then bring them in so that would, that would open it up. Sure. So that's why, they, that's why their legal strategy might be now at this point. Just right. to toe the line and at not do anything. At this point until, you know, if there's an avalanche and he feels the need to come out swinging. But as of now, he's, I guess he's hoping that it's going to die down. Chuck, do you think this is one of the things in hip-hop, you know, our, we have our controversies. We saw, we went through the whole thing with Chris Brown and Rihanna. And then, but now they're back, both of them, you know, more popular, more successful than, Chris Brown more popular, more successful than ever she was the victim in that case. But the, do you think that this is one of those things that people are just going to be, oh, well. No. Well, that's down the road. You know, my first instinct is to say no, but I I will say that this hasn't gone really wide. You know, it hasn't gone mainstream, so Middle America hasn't picked up on it. They don't seem to care so much about this. Whereas with say a Cosby, you know, America's father, it was you know everybody knew him because he was in their homes on television. Exactly, and so there's something to be said about that aspect of it. Uh, from a hip hop point of view, I don't. I mean, I do think this is. Um, you know, a career A-bomb almost, you know, whereas... For him. Yeah, for him, particularly once the Zulu Nation stepped aside, then it becomes quite problematic for him. And I think that some of the accolades and some of the, uh, you know, he's donated his clothing to different colleges, it could, it could be a real problem, you know, because that's when... Uh, mainstream America begins to pick up on it when you're in the Smithsonian or wherever. Right, in these prestigious are. universities, he's Absolutely. just getting an award. He said from uh, South oh. South Africa mm -hmm. for okay. helping Nelson Mandela. I mean, these are incredible. <laughs> I know incredible I mean, awards and those Cosby sweaters disappeared pretty quick from the, <laughs> the museum, from the so. from the, from, yeah. from the museum. But in ter in terms of, are there things that you people should be looking out for, Christopher? 
parents. Well, okay, so community members, parents, brothers, and sisters. Some lessons for parents and community members to take away from, I think, is to understand that you know the people that oftentimes we suspect are the perpetrators or are the greatest threats, really oftentimes there aren't, aren't the ones that we suspect. Um, they oftentimes are the ones who have power and influence uh, you know, in our communities. So what we wanna be educating parents and community members to be looking out for is, Whoever's spending time with children, what are the what are the circumstances on, you know on that? Are they trying to spend time with children alone? Are they trying to separate children from families or parents or caregivers? Those are all red flags that people should be aware of. If a child comes forward and says they don't want to spend time around a certain person, parents and caregivers really should listen to that and and take and pay that attention seriously. to it and not just do the, the the parent or caregiver thing and say no, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Absolutely. And why and why should they pay attention to that? Because oftentimes, especially kids kids won't come, we can't expect kids to come right out and tell all of the full details of somebody sexually abusing them. Remember this, oftentimes this is somebody, the kid may not fully understand or appreciate what's going, what's going on. on. They just know something doesn't feel right. And really it's a parent or caregiver's job to be there, not just to protect and try and you know, keep kids safe, but part of protecting and keeping kids safe is listening to them right. and give it, making sure kids know that they can come forward and share these questions and share these doubts and share these fears. And what about in terms of, there, there's some parents with small children you know when they start at that age they want to do the sleepovers they don't allow the sleepovers they'll have the kid go over there 11 o'clock they'll go pick them up because they're, they're like yeah I know the parents but there may be an older brother there there may be somebody else in the house visiting we don't know is that being too cautious uh, you know I, I I think understanding and knowing the family and getting to know people and asking questions is always very important Perpetrators will tend to, what we, when you interview perpetrators, what we know from some of the research is, perpetrators look for easy victims. Easy victims are the ones who, they don't have strong bonds with their parents or caregivers. Like Sandusky. Like Sandusky. Uh, they're looking for kids, they're, if a situation where you have a parent or caregiver who's being really nosy, who is asking questions, who's made it clear that their kid has the ability to, to say no and to set boundaries, that's, you know, that's a, that's a potential victim that probably a serial perpetrator would look away from because that's going to be a harder target. It's like any other crime, a degree of difficulty. Yeah. The more the, you know, the more the more difficult it is, the less likely they're they're able to do it, mm -hmm. right? Peter, what about in, in in terms of the laws? Do you think the laws are tough enough that we have right now to prosecute child abusers and these sex abusers? I mean, sex crimes in general are just really hard to prove, right? It's generally things that happen in private generally things that people don't like to talk about, although as, as we talked about, I think it's good that people are now feeling more comfortable talking about it uh, because, A, people are going to be less likely to come out with lies if it's just generally more accepted that it's okay to talk about it. Uh, but uh, if juries in general are skeptical about single witness cases and when it's just one person and you have to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt, there's always going to be that hurdle uh, for the victims. It's going to be very, very tough. And when we have cases like these, they're very rarely, once we have somebody come forward and break their silence, we see it's very rarely a single witness case. Because especially the most, you know, the most prolific perpetrators out there, they have, you know, we know from research, perpetrators who target boys especially have on average over 150 victims. Oh my God. That's horrible. Yeah. Is this, uh, Chuck, do you think this is Hip Hop's Bill Cosby case? Well, Possibly, or too early seems, to tell. It seems it's to build, be growing in that direction. It seems to be comparable, and from what we've been hearing, there will be many other accusers. People coming forward. 
and we'll have to see about that. Peter, in terms of the, since since we have you here, we have a legal counsel in the room, the, the consent issue, the, the issue too with a lot of the alleged victims with Africa Bambata is that they were underage, that they were under 17, and that they were boys, thus legally not able to give their consent. Right. Cosby, they, you said they were the women were not able to give their consent because they were they were drugged. You know, they slipped them a roofie, basically. Exactly. They call it. <coughs> Excuse me. In their in their drinks, are there other cases of consent? Like, do in terms of you know other other types of relationships or encounters, are there other issues of consent that people need to be aware of? So I think we need to be cautious as much as we need to. Uh, like the date rape situations, I'm right. thinking about. So the, this if somebody's whole, too drunk. This whole allegation was so right. If you're passed out, if there are certain states that say if you're just uh, drunk beyond a certain point, you can't consent. Period. Um, even if you're not passed out. But I think we also need to be careful about the shift that might be coming in the law, which is to say that any power dynamic, when one person is more powerful, teacher, student, or boss, uh, you know. Uh, an employee or police officer or big celebrity or big celebrity exactly you know you can't get to the point where we're infantilizing people we're saying people are you know too stupid to make their own decisions or too weak to make their own decisions right all right and then chris final word uh i just want to commend all of the survivors who have come forward uh and really encourage if you are also a survivor uh, of sexual violence, know that there are resources for you, that you are not alone, and that uh, I invite you to come to malesurvivor.org or to reach out to other community organizations and try and find help. You deserve help and you are not alone. All right, well on that note, I wanna thank all of you for being with us for this episode Thanks. of Street Soldiers. Uh, Christopher Anderson, Executive Director of Male Survivor, Chuck Kweekmer, Founder and CEO, allhiphop.com, and Criminal Defense Attorney, Peter Brill. Thank you guys all for being with us for this important episode. And we'll keep following the Africa Bambata case and see what emerges, see what evidence we're able to get and what proof and, and what happens. And as Christopher said, if you are in that situation, you know, please seek please seek help because uh, to, to carry that for years has just gotta be it's just gotta be horrible. But I wanna thank my whole team here at Hot 97, executive producer Tone Capone, associate producer Rose Daniels, digital producer Mia Bell, uh, digital assistant TJ Charles, and on the boards and our personal Hot 97 Street Soldiers DJ, the one and only DJ Michael Medium. And of course my whole Fox 5 crew hold me down. Executive producer Chris Sobel, producer Jeff Gessoff, our production director Brian Quinn, on the cameras, Maura Bertoli, Andre Greller, our news director Byron Harmon, and uh, thank everybody in editing for helping get the show on the air. Remember, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Google+, Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace.